brilliant. Okay, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 28. So if you have a Bible, you'd like to turn there. If you don't have one, we do have Bibles either side. So feel free to go and grab one of those. Matthew 28, um, page 1000 uh, in these Bibles. We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, but before we do so, just out of interest, has anyone here ever done a skydive or a parachute jump? I guess skydives should always turn into parachute jumps if they haven't and something's gone wrong. So let's take a look around, some brave people amongst us. Uh, last week, I had the opportunity to be at a skydive drop zone, um, which is an incredible experience. You look up and see the sky filled with parachutes coming in, and every few seconds, there's someone else coming in over your head, going seemingly far too fast. You think these are never going to be able to land, but yet they kind of zoom in and then um, go gracefully to a stop and then just kind of like, as if stepping off a step onto the ground, which is incredible. Although, what you always look for is those who completely stack it. Um, <laughs> or those who land in a field half a mile away. Just like um, my mum says she only watches the ice skating for when people fall over. So it's that kind of experience. Uh, but seeing that is something really impressive. But it's nothing in comparison to this guy. Angie, if you can have the picture. Um, for bonus points, anyone can tell me what his name is? Ooh. Ooh, Baumgartner, yes. Very good, Nathaniel, you get half, half points for that. Um, this is Felix Baumgartner, and nearly 10 years ago, he completed the highest parachute jump and uh, free fall and became the first person to break the sound barrier falling through the sky, which is incredible. He jumped from nearly 39,000 meters um, and broke eight world records, reaching speeds of, listen to this, 843.6 miles per hour. Anyone fancy a go at that? Dale's in and Matt. Okay, next week we'll arrange it for you. It took five years to plan in meticulous detail, and the write-up on the Guinness World Records website concludes with these words, each year our knowledge of once unreachable places keeps on growing. There's no telling where we may go next. Inspiring stuff. This event pushed boundaries what's possible for humans to achieve, and it captures the imagination of a worldwide audience. And today, what I want us to grasp is that sense of adventure that we are called onto. We're called to go to once unreachable places and to speak not of human achievement, but what of our God has done for us and to see the world know Jesus and all he has done. We're looking today at five verses that have shaped the purpose and the direction of the church throughout history. We're called the Great Commission. We'll read them in just a moment. But you may be thinking, this sounds a lot like evangelism. And I, I don't really do evangelism. You might be here preferring to jump from 39,000 meters high than do anything that remotely smells like evangelism. Or you might have had the experience of someone trying to evangelize to you and think, no, this is not for me. Or you might be thinking, I've done it once, just like a, a skydive or parachute done. I've done it once, that was enough, now I'll let other people do that. Or you might be thinking that evangelism is good in theory, but it just feels like too much hard work, too much preparation. It feels like getting everything in place for that world record-breaking jump. 
But I want us to see this morning is that we are called to adventure. We are called to mission. But this isn't something that we work up from inside of ourselves, that we stir up the courage to do it. It's something that comes from an encounter with the risen Jesus and is outworked as we walk day by day with him living in us and with us. We live the Great Commission best as an overflow of worship and in relationship with the living God. He hasn't called us to go it alone. He's called us to go together for his glory. In this series so far, we've been exploring across the summer different encounters with Jesus. We've seen how he's come to outcasts, he's come to sinners, he's come to the unclean, he's come to the hurting. He loves those who haven't got it all together. The encounter today is, is slightly different. Firstly, it involves a group rather than an individual. It involves the disciples. And secondly, this encounter is with the risen Lord Jesus. He has died, has been raised to life, and how his words and actions have fresh authority. This is a new day where promises are fulfilled and God's purposes are advanced. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 7 shows the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. So a resurrected Jesus shows that we do not believe in vain, that Jesus has won the victory, there's forgiveness for our sins. Jesus has taken that punishment on the cross, risen to life, and we can live in freedom and life. It is finished. Jesus has paid it and is exalted in glory. Right, let's read Matthew 28, verse 16. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your powerful word. And we pray today as we come to hear your voice, we pray that we would be receptive and we pray that we would be bold in our response to you, our risen Saviour. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in these previous weeks, we've seen that the encounters with individuals bring acceptance into people's lives, brings hope, brings healing, it brings forgiveness. I want us to see this morning that an impact, the impact of an encounter with Jesus risen from the dead is world-changing, and it begins with worship. Worship is at the very heart of mission. It's not just about individual transformation. It's about life's change when we see who Jesus is. We see this in, in verse 17. When they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. This is a natural response. When we see the exploits of our friend Felix doing his jump, we say, wow, that is incredible. When we're down at Pearl Harbor and see another show-stopping sunset, every time we say, that is amazing. We went to the fireworks down uh, at Bournemouth, and there's that natural response. You can't keep it in, the oohs and the ahs as the fireworks come. There was even a, a new one this week, which I hadn't seen before, where the fireworks go onto the water and then raised up again. Anyone else seen those? There's, you need to go next Friday. 
they are still on Friday, aren't they? I don't want to send you down without. They should be there. Go and watch. It is incredible. But when these things happen, there is a natural response. We can't hold it back. It's hardwired into us. When we see amazing things, we have to let it out. Seeing Jesus leads to a response of worship. So what do the disciples see of him? Well, it says here in um, the verse 18, all, if, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. Earlier on in Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes and tempts Jesus. And in his, uh, one of the, the challenges he lays to him, the questions he asks is that if you worship me, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. All this could be yours. But Satan has some authority, but it's limited. Jesus, here we see, has ultimate authority on heaven and on earth. Why would he exchange what Satan was offering for the authority that the risen Jesus would have? He has all authority in earth and in heaven. There's no end to his rule. When the disciples saw the risen Jesus, they saw the one of whom it speaks of in Daniel 7, the ancient of days we were singing of earlier on. The son of man who comes with authority, with glory, and with sovereign power, the one with everlasting dominion. We worship one who is sovereign over every life circumstance, over work situations, over health challenges that we face. Jesus has authority to heal disease in one word, to forgive sins, to turn water into wine, and he has authority over nations and galaxies. If you are facing any sort of challenge or crisis today, our best response is to worship. Our best response is to worship. The disciples had their worlds turned upside down when Jesus died. They had been following him, they had put their hope in him, and they didn't understand what was happening when all these hopes were dashed and Jesus went to the cross. They were fearful, they had scattered, but now they see the risen Jesus and they worship. They don't ask for the strategic plan. How are you going to do this, Jesus? They begin with worship, and that's where we must begin as well. When we see him as he is, we realize that we are not the center of the universe. He is. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is supreme. There is none like him. We are to look to him in wonder and worship. But also you may have noticed three words after these words in in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. It says, but some doubted. I don't know about you, but when I read these words, it brings up huge questions for me because you see the risen Jesus in all authority. He's defeated death. What's what's the place for doubt? Why, Why are some there doubting when they see Jesus risen from the dead? Well, it's been suggested that the doubts were from other followers, not the disciples. They weren't familiar enough to recognize who, who Jesus was. Others say that there's more of a, it's more of a hesitation than a doubt. Jesus is familiar and yet a bit different, similar to the experience on the Emmaus Road when disciples were walking with Jesus, but they didn't fully appreciate who he was. Whatever it is, it's helpful to know that there can be doubt and hesitation 
because there are things that we don't understand and things that we don't fully grasp. And as Christians, we don't need to know everything. We don't need to have all the big questions fully worked out. It's okay to have doubts. This is natural. But the key question is, where do we go with our uncertainty? Where do we go with our doubts and our questions? We're to bring them to God. Not to be afraid of them, but to ask those questions to him and in community together. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to study theology at university when I was deciding where to study rather than at a Bible college because I wanted the faith that I'd grown up with challenged and tested because if it isn't true, I wanted to know. So we shouldn't have any worry about asking big questions and you may be here today with some big questions on your mind and maybe thinking, well, I can't be a Christian, I've got these doubts. The important is what we do with them, not whether we have them. Because when we wrestle through doubt and challenge, it can bring us through to a place of greater devotion and greater depth of relationship. We to know that there are answers to many of the questions that we have, all of them, in fact. But we don't always have a, a full answer in our minds. We're to bring them to God and keep exploring. We're to know also that as we look to Jesus and worship him, this brings a real powerful motivation. Often we can find evangelism or mission so hard because we think it's something we must do rather than an overflow of worship. But the truth is we we evangelize regularly in our lives. You might evangelize about a TV program that you love or the fireworks that you need to go and see on a Friday night. We do it. When we enjoy something, then it overflows in sharing it with other people. And this is how we see the worship is the heart of mission. We share Jesus because we delight in him, not because we ought to. I don't know if uh, anyone here learned a musical instrument at school, um, not just the recorder that everyone was inflicted with. Um, but when I was about six years old, there was an opportunity to learn the violin. Um, and I thought, that sounds great. So a number of us went into uh, the music room, um, and we, they did kind of a mini audition. And at the end of it, I was told I had no musical talent, <laughs> and I was not allowed to learn the violin. Um, Looking back on it, I'm wondering if my mum paid them off, um, because a six-year-old with a violin is not anyone's idea of a good time, I think. Um, but fortunately, this didn't put me off. Uh, I learned musical instruments. But what I did find is that I really didn't enjoy doing all the scales and the exercises, because to me, that, I could only do those for a few minutes, because I just found them really dull. What I really enjoyed was spending time working out chords for songs that I could then go and play with my friends. That was the real motivation for me. Just going through the motions, learning those scales, did not help me go any further. But when I had a purpose, when I was doing something that I loved, that helped me to enjoy it. And if I spent all my time just on scales and working out interesting chord formations, I would not have drawn anyone else into love music as well because the misery would have just poured out from me. But when we enjoy, we draw other people in, and it means that we are fully committed and we um, share that with those around us. If you're exploring faith today, you're to know that being a Christian isn't about rules and responsibility, doing those things that you have to do. 
It's about relationship and it's about wonder. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It begins with delight. When we delight in him, our our desires get aligned in him and we love him with all of our heart, soul and mind and we get caught up in this mission as a natural overflow. So I encourage you this week to rekindle wonder in your lives, to look around and see the evidence of God's goodness and grace. If you want help with this, just take a toddler for a walk and you can see the wonder that is all around us in insects and stones and buses and planes, things that we often pass by. We can see the wonder if we just slow down and look. And we come to this place of surrender, bringing the doubts that we have, be honest about them, but submitting to the authority of Jesus in our lives and ensuring that our focus is on him and not on us. So if, if worship is the foundation of mission, how is this mission outworked? How do we get the mission done? Well, we're to see that Jesus chose community as the method of mission. And nowadays you can often hear people speculate, if Jesus stepped into history today instead of 2,000 years ago, how would he have spread the word? In an age of mass communication, of social media, of, of YouTube channels, surely he would use one of these devices. But if you think about it, if you read the pages of scripture, it's difficult to see Jesus as a social media influencer or jumping on the latest craze to get followers. Jesus today chooses the same method as he did 2,000 years ago. Jesus chooses community. And when you look at the disciples that he chose, you feel they were more of a hindrance to his mission than a help. But community is, is powerful. And community enables us to go not only to those around us, but to the ends of the earth. Jesus chooses the church. He chooses ordinary people following an extraordinary God. People living real lives alongside one another. Jesus wants a group of people who love him first and live in vibrant, gospel-centered community. One of the uh, things that I love each week about going to Parkrun is the incredible sense of, of community that you have and how I'm able to run faster and further than I would otherwise. And each week there's something that rekindles about a joy of running which is easy to get lost week by week. And that's not something special about Parkrun. It's something that speaks of what God has hardwired into us in terms of community and doing things together and going far together. And one sign of this we read here is, is baptism. Um, it says in verse 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an outward sign of something that's happened on the inside. It's a sign of dying to the old way of life, of dying to our sins, of being raised to new life, clean and free. It's a sign of putting our trust in Jesus, saying that he is the Lord of our lives. It's a sign of joining the body of Christ, the church. It's a powerful symbol of unity in Jesus Christ. It shows the truth of Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 6. 
which says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When we become Christians, we belong to Jesus, and we belong to each other, and we call others into this relationship to belong as well. And if you're a Christian here and haven't taken this step of baptism, I encourage you to consider that, to grab a life group leader, to talk to one of us, and to explore whether you can get baptized in these coming weeks. God knows that the most effective way to reach out, and the most effective way to grow it in our faith is in community. It's part of who God has made us to be, and it's part of God himself. Notice that we are to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's community and mission right there in the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they live in perfect relationship for all eternity. There's no need for anyone or anything else. They are totally self-sufficient. But again, there is a sense of overflow, a desire to draw us into this relationship. That's why the Father sends the Son. The Son came into this world and lived only doing what he saw the Father doing. And the Spirit continues the mission that Jesus began. In the Trinity, we see both diversity and unity at work with incredible power. And this is what we are called to in the church. Celebrating our differences and going with the unity that we have in Christ. We are one body. And just take a moment to look around the room. See the diversity there of different peoples, different ages, different experiences. And there's real power in that and a real joy in going together. It's in community that we do go deeper together. Jesus says in verse 20 that as we make disciples, we are to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded to you. So again, remember where we start. We start with devotion to God. But when we love, we want to go deeper. We want to know more. Whether you're interested in gardening or the Grand Prix, when we get captivated by something, we want to learn more. We want to explore more. And we do this best in community, learning, sharing, getting insights from one another. Jesus says in John 15, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. And this isn't coercion or manipulation. It's not, you must fill this set of criteria before I accept you. We are saved by grace. And the natural outworking is to follow what Jesus says. Being a disciple means wanting to be more like him and live in a way which will please him. It means knowing that Jesus' word brings life and are for our good. And these are not commandments of an overbearing parent that are trying to control us. These are truths that will set us free, that bring strong foundations so we can live fruitful lives. And it's the reason why the church can endure through the ages. You may need to be freed this morning from a wrong view of, of Jesus' commands. We don't get to pick and choose which ones we like and which ones we prefer. But we remember that he is the creator, that he has all authority. He knows what's best for us. And he calls us deeper in. And these words of truth bring strength, depth, and help to get us through challenging times. 
Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, taught and overflowing with thankfulness. We want to be a church full of mighty oaks with firm roots that are not shaken when storms come. And we do this by obeying this command to go deeper and to learn more together. So let me ask, how are you going deeper? How can you go deeper in this coming week? There are so many resources on hand. There are so many books, so many podcasts, so many talks that we can watch. But in all of these things, we want to make sure that our walk with Jesus becomes closer and closer. In all of these things, we're not just to be filling our minds with knowledge, but we want to be drawn further and deeper into a genuine, loving relationship with our Savior. So ask, how can we do that in this coming week? How can we do that alongside one another? Maybe grab a coffee with someone else and say, how are you going deeper? And learn from one another and seek to bless one another in that. So in community, we want to go deep but we also want to go far. This is Jesus' call. And the final thing I want us to look at this morning is the scope of mission, is that it's to go to all nations. Jesus says go and make disciples of of all nations. And sitting in this room, this could feel as unrealistic as climbing up 39,000 meters to do a parachute jump, completely out of reach. But just think what it would have been like for those 11 disciples. They're already a man down. Judas is gone. How could they possibly go to all nations? Surely Jesus is just exaggerating. Previously, Jesus had limited the mission mainly to those lost sheep of Israel. But now he throws the doors wide. There's been this thread throughout Scripture. God's heart has always been for the nations to come in. But in the Great Commission, Jesus says, now is the time. God's timing is perfect. There are now over 2 billion Christians in the world. It's been inconceivable for those 11 disciples. 2 billion across the world. Those just who are alive today. God's mission is bigger than we think, and he uses people just like us. We're not to discount ourselves. Let him stir in us a heart to go for his name. Let's get drawn to those who are around us. Let God stir our hearts for us to see what would it be for us to be a church that are for all nations. There's this resounding call to go to every people, to every tribe, to every nation, to every race, to every background. God may be stirring a particular nation or people group in your heart. We have the privilege of sending a number of people to different parts of the world. The Great Commission is about getting the nations on our heart, of seeing this big picture. But it's not only those who go to other nations who are missionaries. When we see Jesus, we get caught up in his mission. Every one of us who are followers of Jesus are missionaries. But it's important to see that being a people that go is more of a matter of the heart than it is a matter of geography. If we don't let our love for Jesus overflow where we are now, this won't change if we move postcode or or move continent. We take our heart with us. 
We're to be a people who reach out where we are, to have our joy in sharing the love of Jesus and his transformational power in every conversation that we have, in every shop that we go into, we take the presence and power of God. And we're to catch this heart of Jesus for all peoples. As we've seen in this series, Jesus came to the outcast, the marginalized, and the broken. And this is costly. Jesus doesn't call us to live an, an easy life, but one that brings his truth and his life. Because Jesus deserves worship and the lost need reaching. We're to know that the light of Jesus is far-reaching. And there's, this, again, this sense of overflow. Jesus says, let your life, light shine. He doesn't say, force your light to shine. As we look to him, there's a natural outpouring of letting your light shine, a natural byproduct of walking with Jesus day by day. And so let's let God enlarge our vision about where he's sending us into schools and workplaces, into universities, neighborhoods, and nations, into the lives of the broken, the hurting, and the confused. Because we've experienced the saving love of Jesus, we want to share it. And it's relevant to every person, in every situation, in every time. So we see this big call, and we may be in that same situation as those 11 disciples. How, how can this happen? Well, the answer is in the end of verse 20. Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let me say that again. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're to let this truth sink into our hearts and to allow it to bring transformation to our lives. This is the reason why we can go. Jesus is with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. We can keep our eyes on him and know him alongside in every moment. Jesus says in, in John 14, 15 to 18, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus hasn't left us or abandoned us. We have the power and the presence of God with us. We're not left as orphans. We're not abandoned. We are claimed. We are fathered. We are cared for. And we are also pushed out of our comfort zones to go for him. The call is beyond us, but it's not beyond our God. And he wants us caught up in this adventure. We have to consciously bring the presence of God wherever we go. Look at the transformation in the disciples' lives, of those who were scared and fearful, to those who are proclaiming the gospel, who are healing the sick and going to nations and planting and establishing churches. We are to bring this presence of God. Know that we are missionaries every single day. We have the opportunity to share our story, to show what Jesus has done for us, and to serve those around us, just as Jesus did. He came as a servant not to be served. And we are called to go and serve a lost and broken world. So I wonder, where is God stirring your heart now? Where can you be reaching out 
with his love and his light and his truth. Just be praying. Often God will drop individuals or situations into your heart for you to be stirred and to be prayed for and to be reaching out to. So as I close, we see these five verses of the Great Commission. We see in them what we've been made for. When we see Jesus, our response is devotion, and we know that we are made for worship. When we love Jesus and this overflows that we declare who he is, we know that we're made for mission. When we see the power of making disciples in community, we're made to be part of the church. When we want to go deeper into all Jesus' commands, we know we're made for maturity in him. And when we feel the burning desire to bring the presence of Jesus into even the darkest of places, we know we are made for doing the works of the kingdom in service. So how do we fulfill the Great Commission? It's not as unachievable as going to 39,000 meters above the earth. In fact, it's more exciting and more significant. We look to Jesus. Jesus will build his church. Notice the completeness throughout the passage. All authority, all nations, all commands. And Jesus is with us always. In everything, this is all down to Jesus. This is where it begins. Saying yes to him. It's where our passage begins. Verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. It begins with saying yes to him. Going to that mountain. Mountains through scripture are often the place where God meets with his people. They're places of, of worship, of encounter and commissioning. You may have had some mountain experiences this summer. Our church weekend was a wonderful time, wasn't it, of encountering God, of enjoying him together. You may have been at New Day. Can I get a shout for anyone who's at New Day? There we go. The youth festival, fantastic time of encountering God together. God meets us on the mountain, but sends us on mission by community and goes to all peoples so that we can declare the name of Jesus. Let's go together with our eyes fixed on him. Let's stand and we'll worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this incredible call that you placed over us. We thank you that you chose to come to this earth to give your life for us. We thank you that we can know life and freedom and hope. And we thank you that your light goes into this world, that more and more people may come and know your greatness, your majesty, your faithfulness. And Lord, we pray that our hearts will be captivated afresh by you. In this moment, I ask that we would see more of who you are, that we can live this out as overflow, that we can demonstrate your love, kindness, and compassion, that we see more and more people come to worship the living and true God. We thank you that this is what we're made for, for all eternity, to enjoy you, to worship you, and to declare there is none like you. 
we pray, Holy Spirit, when you rest upon us as we worship, as we live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's continue to look to him. Let's worship together. Thank you.